Hi, and welcome to RevOps Unboxed, the podcast that dives into the world of revenue operations brought to you by me, Sandy Robinson, in partnership with Revenue Operations Alliance. This is Sandy Robinson. I'm your host of RevOps Unboxed. I'm here with Paul Butterfield today. He is a revenue enablement icon, founder of Revenue Flywheel Group, and he's had so many roles, and I'm so excited to talk to him today about all things revenue operations and revenue able, revenue enablement. Uh, so, mm-hmm. Paul, um, if you'd like to give a quick intro and tell us a little bit about your background, that'd be awesome. Sure. Thanks, Sandy. I Well, as you mentioned, currently I founded a company called Revenue Flywheel Group. Um, prior to that, I spent a little over a decade in enablement. I was fortunate enough to uh, come in and get to build, because I love to build, uh, enablement strategies, teams, all of it um, from scratch uh, at three different companies, in contact initially, then Vonage, and most recently, a little over three years as VP of Revenue Enablement at the EdTech firm and Structure. So uh, love enablement and do a lot of volunteering in the enablement world as well. Um, the Prior to that, I was a sales person, sales guy, one way or another, whether I was carrying a bag myself or leading a team and put in probably, I don't know, 15, between 15, and 20 years in selling, mostly technology, starting with HP and then moving into software pretty quickly after that. Okay. So you're up there with me. I like it. I appreciate that. I can relate mm-hmm. to the 20 years in, uh, in the sales world. Uh, so yeah. tell, tell, tell us a little something about you personally, something fun, maybe fun fact uh, for the audience would be great. Sure. Fun fact. Um, one that people a lot of times get interested in is I am a certified competitive barbecue judge. So mm-hmm. I, I also cook, but I mostly judge. And I wrote a blog, a recipe blog for a barbecue company for about two years. So that's something that, yeah, people usually, unless they're vegan, they get, they, they think that's kind of cool. And I have actually learned how to do some pretty good barbecue for vegans as well. So. I was going to say, I would imagine there's a, there's some options there with uh, there are. meat and everything out there. So, well, cool. Yeah. That is, that is definitely cool. So how did you really, I know, I know you said you started off on the sales side and everything like that, but mm-hmm. maybe you can tell us a little bit about your first enablement, your true enablement role, how that went, you know, some little kind of pieces from that would be great. Sure. Uh, I was a sales director at a SaaS company called In Contact. They've since been acquired by Nice, but they are a contact center as a service platform. And I was leading the eastern half of North America sales team. Uh, we had a new EVP of sales come in to the company about halfway through my time there. And we had nothing in the way of sales training, much less enablement. Um, everybody sat in the same room with HR for two and a half days. And then it was really just up to individual leaders to figure out what, if anything, they were going to do to onboard. So as a sales leader, I, I had two motivations for figuring out how to onboard and develop my team. One, um, I really believe that as leaders, we have a moral obligation to make sure our people are being taken care of and developed to the, whatever degree we can. Um, and if there aren't corporate resources, then we got to figure something out. The second thing is I had a number to hit. And so just speaking from a very pragmatic standpoint, if my salespeople weren't being developed, I probably was going to have a harder time hitting it. The, 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 so what happened was I went in for my one-on-one with this individual, this guy, Bill Robinson, his name, uh, one Friday morning. And he walked over to his whiteboard. Instead of asking about commits or all those normal things, he wrote the words sales enablement on his whiteboard. 
It was 2012, I think September. I had to go Google the term because I'd never heard of it at that point. Uh, but then he went on to talk about what he'd observed me doing for my team, the things that he liked. And he challenged me to go home for the weekend, think about whether I was willing to scale that. He was going to create a brand new role. And would I scale that and develop it to do enablement for his entire organization, which he was, by the way, getting ready to triple the size of it uh, over about 18 months. So went home for the weekend, came back said yes, he wanted a 30, 60, 90, and here we are. So that's that's how I got into it. Um, I've, I've been very, I've, I've often thought that I'm really grateful that I got that pathway in where I was just coming in, leading, able to build, but doing it in an environment where I had been selling. These sales leaders that I was now supporting had been my peers up till then. And we, we'd sold alongside each other. We'd been in the same forecast meetings and it was probably an optimal situation for learning enablement and launching at the same time. That's huge. That's huge. And you obviously had the credibility with your peers. So it was, uh, you know, not, not as challenging, I would imagine to Mm -hmm. step into that role and, and just really understanding the needs. And I think I mean, that's not that's not unlike how I got my start in uh, RevOps, which actually started from the sales training side. So way oh. back in the day, just running sales training for our new hires and onboarding and teaching them uh, back back way back when solution selling. So uh, that's, that's yeah. Awesome. I can I, I, can I totally... know Mike Bosworth in the solution selling gang. That takes me back. <laughs> yeah, I I love it. I love it. That, that's I mean, and that's huge, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. do you think? Uh, I think it's helpful to have a sales background going into enablement. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that uh, something that you think is a is a requirement, or do you? What, what are your thoughts around that? My thoughts have evolved. Of uh, probably for the first. I don't know, four, five, six years, I don't know, something like that. I really did was strongly biased in favor of someone who had direct sales experience, not even SDR experience. And and I have not, I mean, SDR is the toughest job in sales. I don't want to be disrespectful of it, but understanding the full cycle uh, that an AE or an enterprise rep has to experience and, and successfully manage. Um, and I think that bias probably came from the fact that that's how I came up through it. And sales is, I think you'd agree, a pretty binary world. It's it's not a world that everyone's comfortable in. Um, for example, in most jobs, you get to have a nice private one-on-one and do talk about performance with your leader, right? In sales, in our world, anybody with a Salesforce login can see exactly how well you are doing at your job, right? I mean, there's just a lot of things that are a little tough for people. So I was, but I was proven wrong when I was at Vonage, we acquired a company called New Voice Media. Um, and with that came two sales enablement, amazing sales enablement folks who were based in Basingstoke, England, um, neither of whom had ever sold. In fact, one was a former police profiler instructor. She was so good at profiling, she actually taught profilers, but had moved into enablement. And the other was a, an instructional designer. And that, boy, that really doesn't do Bruce's talent justice, but that's essentially what he did. But he had worked with PepsiCo and HP and And I found through working with Claire and Bruce that you can actually do exceptional enablement without that sales background. So what I have determined since then is you really ideally can have a blend on your team. Those that have been former sellers probably don't have the formal training and experience in adult learning. Not that they can't go get those things, but they haven't experienced it. And so when you're writing courses, there's a science to that. And and so having a blend of both on a team is ideal if you can do it. I, I hear you loud and clear. And I, I also think that as things have evolved with technology, I mean, this isn't 
This isn't like back in the day, just, you know, hey, we're going to go ride with the sales rep and check mm -hmm. out a couple of visits and, you know, mm -hmm. write down some notes about how you did. So uh, that's that's an important point to have a well-versed team and to make sure that you're also, as you mentioned, the tools and technology that mm -hmm. uh, come along with it are important. And that kind of brings me into the meat here around enablement and rev ops, right? Mm -hmm. So there's there's a lot of importance around the data and the reporting and the technology. And this is a hot topic that uh, I, I hear people talk about a lot in the RevOps mm -hmm. and enablement communities. So I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about you know, what do you think in terms of RevOps and revenue mm -hmm. enablement working together? Uh, how, what's, what do you think is optimal? Uh, just, I guess, give me maybe some best practices around that and your experience. Sure. Yeah. And and my experience is actually varied in that area. Most of the time, what I've seen is that RevOps and enablement function I uh, you know optimally if both are let's look at them as peer organizations. So the head of RevOps and the head of enablement likely are peers reporting into the same revenue leader. That might be a CSO, might be a CRO, depending on how the company is structured. The the key to me, whether enablement is part of RevOps or partners with RevOps, is having that symbiotic relationship. So when I look at enablement at a high level, I look at it as really a nexus within any organization. And that nexus is where you're bringing together RevOps, product marketing, product in some cases, again, depending how that team is structured, and enablement is taking inputs from those areas, synthesizing them into various outputs, because uh, it's not always training in the conventional sense, and delivering that out to the company. The, the, the push-pull there is we are dependent usually on RevOps to help us measure the impact of what we're doing in enablement. And you know, there's a lot of talk right now in the enablement community about you know, having business impact and being able to measure, which I absolutely applaud. I'm glad so many people are talking about it, but the reality, Sandy, is it's not new. I, I could, there are, there, you know, Tamara Shank and Byron York were writing things about this, um, uh, you know, a few years ago. Maybe it's because I came from a direct sales background. I, to me, enablement only existed to the degree that it influenced revenue. Otherwise, who has time for it, right? So, so um, that's to me, that's not necessarily a new development, but I welcome the fact that so many are looking at it and, and, that is going to take a great RevOps partnership. Enablement teams now have access to technology that can even help measure it. But in my experience, the connectors are still being built with RevOps and RevOps is still helping maintain those dashboards. So it's 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 just a good symbiotic relationship. Yeah, and symbiotic is the key, right? So wherever mm -hmm. it reports to, mm -hmm. it, it shouldn't be a pass the ball over, right? So right, RevOps, exactly rolled out this tool, here you go, enablement, go train mm -hmm. on it, and then we'll mm -hmm. tell you how good or bad you're doing. Right. I think I think that, and that's what I hear. I hear frustration, particularly from enablement leaders when I'm at these conferences, like, well, I can't get RevOps to help me with this, or I can't get RevOps to do yeah, that. I've seen it's, that. You know, and to me, that's a that's a fundamental, maybe culture issue. I don't know, but it, it's it seems like we should all be focused on whatever the goal is. So if there's a tool that's been selected, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I would think enablement would have a piece of that. Wouldn't, I mean, is that, is that how you think about it? That is, if I were coming into a company to lead enablement, that's one of the things that I would want to ascertain 
you know, and part of the interview process is enablement absolutely needs to be part of the decision-making product, excuse me, process for any tech stack acquisitions or deletions for that matter. Um, enablement doesn't own it completely. Ops doesn't own it completely. Now, what I've seen is it'll often be weighted. For example, at Instructure, when we rolled out Clary, Clary, that really was primarily a RevOps decision, and it also had been suggested strongly by the board, so it was probably going to happen anyway. Um, however, by enablement being involved in it, we were the ones that were able to sync up and do the train the trainer with the CS team over it, you know, and and so so with that, right, that's an example. RevOps really led, but we had an effective um, go-to-market or launch together, and then enablement carried the ball, you know, going forward. Um other things, for example, like a gong or an enablement platform, I've seen typically the enablement leadership will lead on that. But again, it's going to touch Salesforce. So RevOps has got to be part of the process. So it, that's the only variations I see is who's taking the lead, who's paying for it. Sometimes it goes into that mix as well. What budget? Right, right. What budget that yeah. it falls under is always yeah. the key. And, yeah. you know, but I think being involved, it just seems natural to me that enablement would be involved in the implementation process as well, Ideally, right? Because if yeah. you're going to have to train on it right? to say, I'm setting it up the best way that a user is going to use it. And even furthermore, mm -hmm. having the actual end users participating in that process as yes. well. Yeah, it, it, it's, um, and the thing that I've noticed to be fair to RevOps teams, and this is not going to be news to a lot of your listeners, is it's not always that they're not willing to help enablement with those data point, those data issues. Um, I have seen RevOps, depending again on the company, but I've worked for a PE back company, for example, and a PE back company, at least in the, the, the firm that owned us, absolutely buried our RevOps team. I mean, the data slices, I think that board review deck was up to 20 slides and all of them eye charts at some point because that was just the demands from that particular PE firm and the folks they put on the board. So my point being, the RevOps team, there were times where they were just legitimately, and and to be fair, if I were the RevOps leader and I had to prioritize getting that project done for enablement or delivering my board data on time, I know where I'd go. So it's um, I, don't, I don't think it's always lack of willingness um, in, in some cases, but regardless, you know, the partnership is what's critical. And, and I've seen enablement report to RevOps and be very successful. Um, we had at Vonage, we had a senior leader. Uh, what was what was Mark's title? Uh, senior VP of, of uh, operations globally. And he had done, I think, three successful exits up to that point. And had had enablement reporting to him. And he was an ops leader that actually had studied enablement and really understood how its function was different than what his ops teams were doing. And that actually worked really well under Mark. So again, to your point, I think it depends on the company. I think it depends on the leader um, and who can best support that, that, that tight relationship. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm not just saying that to agree with you. I, I think... When I talk to RevOps folks, like not everybody has the background that I do as a RevOps leader, right? So mm -hmm. I started out on the sales side mm -hmm. and I found my way into the RevOps side because a lot, largely because I, I wasn't a training and justifying training and then managing up and how am I going mm -hmm. to justify to my boss, how my territory is performing. So mm -hmm. I I got good at all that stuff and got into mm -hmm. the ops side, but I I have a sales background. I've been there. I've been on the training side. So I think 
for me, it's a little bit easier, and but a lot of RevOps leaders or um, practitioners may not have a sales background. So I think, I uh, you know, if if that's the case, and it may be a little bit more challenging to really understand the needs of enablement, um, you know, in terms of it. So I don't think there's a right way. I think yeah. the issue is really working together, as you first stated, mm-hmm. and making sure that you're aligned on the goals and identifying the people that need to be involved, particularly mm-hmm. around tech and the reporting needs. But it's not just like a kind of a an afterthought, right? It has to be really right. the core of the strategy. What is your revenue operations and revenue enablement strategy? Yeah. So um, you know, so I mean, have you have you run into a situation, or I mean, you've given me a, a lot of real practical examples here of things, uh, just in terms of maybe some friction or, or something in working with RevOps and enablement, mm-hmm. or you know, just any other uh, story you can think of mm-hmm. that might be helpful to listeners and, and how you work through it. There are some times that, and I'm a big believer in assuming positive intent. I don't always live it perfectly, but it's a value. It was one of Intuit's values when I was worked there, and, and it's one that I carried with me. Um, even with that, I think I have seen where rave, enablement and ops, rev ops, can talk past each other. So I'll give, you, I'll give you an example and would love your feedback, right? We may have a good conversation. Um, I had a rev ops leader and I, we both reported to the same CRO, and we just had a fundamental disagreement on this. She felt like my team, because I believe that enablement teams need to be on a variable comp and that variable comp needs to be tied to the success of the sales team. I I just enablement needs to have skin in the game of the salespeople's success. Um, But where we disagreed, I was tagging it back to our CRO's numbers, which is what he and I had set up. She felt like my team should be bonused on SGOs, sales generated opportunities. Her reasoning was that our marketing team that generated MGOs were bonused on the number of those they created. Therefore, why shouldn't enablements? Um, so there were two problems with that. Number one, training people, the sales team had to go generate opportunities was a fraction of what we did. So it'd be an odd thing to, to base everything on. And number two, the difference is marketers actually generate MGOs. Enablement doesn't generate a single sales opportunity. We teach people to do it. We coach them to do it. But ultimately, we can't make them do it. And so that's just one example where, um, like I said, it, it and ultimately the CRO was the arbiter of that, um, and he he agreed with me in that case. Um, and so we agreed to disagree on it. It wasn't necessarily even a roadblock to the relationship. It's just one that comes to mind when you ask for an example. Well, I mean, and, and comp comp is important, right? So how yeah, are yeah. you really motivating that? Because if that's if that's all you're really looking for is new opportunity creation, I mean. There's there's downsides to that, right? We don't know what happens to it. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a, a whole whole lot of different places we could go there. But yeah, I mean, we're not always going to agree. I think getting to a common ground. I mean, really, ultimately, this comes down to working with people. Uh, what mm-hmm. I find is just uh, working with the other individuals, coming on to common ground together to be mm-hmm. able to focus on whatever the overarching goal is. It does help, however, if you if you're both. You know, if both enablement and RevOps function does roll up to the same leader, oh, I agree. That's, yeah, I think that's key. Uh, what I what I have come across, uh, particularly with enablement, is mm-hmm. when it's an HR function. There's yeah. a lot of frustration with 
folks uh, out there. And I don't know if this is uh, going to strike a chord with anyone listening, but to me, that's challenging to have a completely mm-hmm. different functional area. Like I, I love working with HR. They always have really cool tools and combining right. together on onboarding and things like that. Um, but to have the full sales revenue enablement yeah. function under there, I mean, I haven't experienced that personally in my organizations, but I, I've talked to a lot of folks uh, that have told me about that. I, I've had to. And in fact, I would even expand that to say that if enablement reports into any GNA function, I, I, I think it would be problematic, not impossible. Uh, and so, yeah, whether whether they report up and, and and at the risk of offending my marketing friends, if there was a choice between enablement reporting to marketing, reporting to RevOps, and that was my two choices, I would land on RevOps um, because nothing wrong with marketing, but just to my experience, the work that RevOps is doing and enablement's doing are more aligned um, it, it, from a reporting standpoint, just my experience, but... Yeah, I, I would definitely say, because I think it follows that lead gen path, right? So mm-hmm. if marketing is uh, responsible for, you know, a, an MQL and then it, yeah. you know, passes over, then is that, is that where, you know, is that where it stops or is it like mm-hmm. a baton pass? Uh, so I, I, I agree. And I think fundamentally, like if you think of RevOps or revenue enablement, right, the mm-hmm. whole idea is it's, aligning the buying journey. So right. I, I would imagine yep. you think the same way in terms of enablement, hence the word sales being kind of removed from it, that yep. it's really, really supporting the buying journey uh, in the same way of, of kind of RevOps function is. I agree. And again, it may come because of the background I came from, but that's how I've always looked at enablement. I don't think I started thinking it literally in the name revenue enablement, probably until I was at Vonage at some point. But even back at In Contact, for example, when we rolled out the sales methodology, I went to our head of services, our COO. Actually, I think I started with the COO and made a case to him as to why we should have CSMs, uh, renewals reps, and I think those were the two at the time, go through these sales methodology sessions with our salespeople. And 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 this, those teams did not report up through sales. And so we didn't have budget to pay for it. So it was showing him the value and also getting him to commit the budget because uh, methodologies don't come free. And, and, and he did, we had a good, we, we had a good relationship anyway, but it worked. And so from the very beginning, I've always incorporated CS renewals, you know, product. We also had product marketers going through the methodology training, anybody that was delivering customer facing messaging, because we wanted them to understand how we're asking AEs to go to market and sell and position themselves and do discovery. And those customer facing materials need to be aligned to that. For example, if what we're talking about in, in in our website and papers are features, and we're asking salespeople to not be feature-centric, right? That, that's a classic misalignment. So, <laughs> And companies do it all the time, right? Their yeah, yeah. websites are full of all the, they've got the kind of kitchen sink out there and then yeah. just anybody, anything to sell, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I hear you loud and clear and, and it, it just really... Um, it's, it's tying it all together, I think is important Agree. Making, yeah. that, making that smooth customer journey, because at the end of the day, with no matter where everybody reports to, I'd like to think it's what's most important is the customer, right. And their experience right. 
and then ultimately the the success of the company and, and the folks involved. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, this has been a great discussion. I really, I think we could probably go on and on about uh, philosophies and, and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, but I, I would love to, for the listeners, leave people with just some really uh, some some tips that you like to share or something you know I don't know if you have any game changers or or something cool out there I'd love to sure. hear from you uh, I want to for for a tip that the one thing that I would tell anyone in enablement and we we touched on this at the beginning is figure out how you are going to impact the revenue because ultimately again um I used to remind my team enablement is an HR and all I meant by that is we aren't delivering government mandated or industry certification trainings, right? Anything that we ask a seller to step away and do, we've got to be reasonably sure along with their leaders, they're going to go back and they're going to be more successful with it. And, you know, otherwise nobody's got time for it otherwise. So as a, my, my advice would be, if you're not already measuring and looking that way, step back, take a look and figure it out. One method that I started using, I don't know, seven or eight years ago and have taught other people that's worked very well for me is strategy mapping and building a strategy map that's tied back to the revenue outcomes that your CRO, you know, mostly cares about. What are the big top three they're being measured on, for example? And then you're building scorecarding to that strategy that lets you create a compelling set of leading indicators that your strategy, your CRO is bought off on your strategy map. And then you're showing how each element is right. Right. Now you've got some great leading indicators. You've got things to look at that are meaningful. You've got things to look at that your CRO agrees. If we do these are likely going to impact the revenue. Um, then you've got to go figure out the lagging side. Someone get into that, but one way or another, figure out how your strategy is going to do that and then figure out how to measure it. Man, that's uh, that's some great advice. I think mm -hmm. uh, people, if they want to get in contact with you, will definitely uh, put all of your information here with the podcast. I really appreciate your time today. I think I think this is just this, like I said, this discussion can go on and on. So thanks so yeah. much uh, for joining today, Paul. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Great, thanks, Sandy. Thanks for tuning in to RevOps Unboxed, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode.